what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. It's a matter of self-respect and yeah, was I scared and nervous and overwhelmed initially? Absolutely. All right. Welcome back to Meet Bridget. Thank you all so much for meeting us back here. I'm Kashia Rosenberg and together with my bestie and founder of Meet Bridget, Asha Gabriel, we run a confidence and communication platform for teen girls. Welcome back for another interview episode. So today we are so excited. Um, we have Krista Clayman with us. Considered one of the most well-regarded and critically acclaimed runway agents of all time, Krista joins us with over 30 years of experience. She's worked with all the big names in fashion and design, you name it, and she's accomplished a successful partnership with them. Chanel, Gucci, Oscar de la Renta, the list goes on. She currently leverages her expertise as the director of booking at the Industry LA, where she continues to manage talent and has, and has spearheaded Curve, which is a diverse and inclusive team of models who push forward the idea that everybody is beautiful. She has been described as the world's number one runway agent by many notable sources, and she leads a legacy of kindness, compassion, and care with those who speak of working with her. She's a powerhouse, a second mother to most, and she radiates kindness, and she's here with us today to share a little bit more about her teen years and how they shaped the women she is today and how she has shaped women through that process. So we're so excited to have Krista here. I personally have been so impacted by Krista. I met her when I was 17 years old and had just moved to LA, was just starting at school at UCLA, and she offered offered me this incredible opportunity to become a runway model, all while continuing to study. And I look to her so, so truly as a second mother in here in LA, she made me feel so supported and really helped launch my career and open up a lot of opportunities for me. So speaking from experience, I am so thrilled to have you here, Krista. It's been a long time, but um, I'm just so excited to just open you up and share, share your experiences with our audience. I know so many people are so fascinated and curious about the fashion industry and modeling and all the ins and outs of that. So, so yeah, welcome, Krista. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's great to be here. If I can help or give advice or touch anyone, that's, that's what it's about. Cause I just am a firm believer that I've been an agent now going on 39 years. And I started Tyra Banks when she was 15 is if I'm taking care of somebody's child, whether they're in college or they're 16 or if they're 25, my children both went to college on the East Coast and I didn't get to be around a lot of time when they were at school and because I was working all the time. So I just feel if I'm taking care of somebody's child, then I'd like to think that someone's taking care of mine. I love that. That's really what it's about. Well, let's go back to like the beginning. Where did you, where were you born? Where did you grow up? What was like your young family life like? My young family life was um, very tough, very strong father, um, not educated, taught himself to read at 35 because he wanted to be a horse trainer. So he loved the racehorses. So he learned to read by reading the racing form, which tells you 
that if you're having difficulty reading or learning, find what interests you and, and read that. I don't care if it's a fashion magazine or it sounds weird to say a racing form, but it taught him to read. He was from not a very good family structure. So family was really important to him that we had a childhood that he did not, but very rough around the edges, not very communicative, didn't like people very much, loved animals, complete, completely um, compassionate though. So at a young age, he married my mother when she was 17 and he was 19. They had three kids back to back and and he went to work for a company called Mosquito Abatement, which is like a low level position for someone who barely graduated from high school. And I mean, barely. Um, and he was spraying mosquitoes in like a water bed. And a guy came up to him with a wad of cash and said, do you ever see these? And he showed him in his hand, these little red worms that were in water and they're called blood worms. And my dad said, I do. And he said, I'll give you a chunk of money if you can call me and let me know when you find them. So my father with zero education thought, if this is so important to him, then I should research. Long and short, my entire life, um, my father had a Tubifex worm company, which sold Tubifex worms to tropical fish stores. It put all of us through school. We all got a car on our 16th birthday. And then someone did to him what he had done to that guy. And that is every Sunday, we would have a shipment of worms shipped into LA airport, which it taught you a lot about the human condition. And I learned so many things from my father because we'd have to go through customs and they could be really unkind. They could make you wait four hours. So my father was very like diplomatic with them. And, you know, at Christmas, it was like the seas candy, whatever. So every Sunday, it affected sort of our social life, especially my older brother, because he was sort of a football star and he wouldn't get to go to like a party after the game because my father made us all stick together on Sundays. And the worm house was in the back of my grandparents' house. So every Sunday night we had dinner with my grandparents and and it's just interesting because, you know, my grandparents, my grandfather came here from Oklahoma, just like the grapes of wrath, like dropped out of school at 12. And then I had to watch him his entire life work for like an aeronautics company. And his bosses would come in from college at 23, even though he knew so much more than they did. But as far as the human condition, doing things that are right. So to transition, because the worms came in from Mexico City, some people in Mexico City thought well, if he's doing that and, so, and taking care of a family, if we came from Mexico City and cut the prices in half, then we could probably put him out of business, which they did. So my father, learning how to read and wanting to be a horse trainer, because we always had sort of the little race horses at, like mostly quarter horses at Santa Anita. He flew to San Francisco because he was afraid to take a written test because he couldn't spell and he passed it. And then he went on to be quite a successful horse trainer at Del Mar, in, which is in San Diego. And his picture hangs on the wall. And, and I think one of the biggest lessons I learned from him is we really couldn't afford to go on family vacations. And we really never did. But one summer, he took us to Catalina and we rented a little boat and we were out in the water. And just as we got out in the water, the boat broke down and we floated out there for four hours. And I remember finally 
the boat company sent someone out to basically save us. And I said to my father, are you going to tell him off when he gets here? And my very simple father said, are we on the shore, Krista? So that's sort of how I've led my life. And that is like to try to do the right thing and not to overreact and to take a beat. Anyone who's ever worked with me or been around me, that's, I always say, you know, just don't write an email and send it. Don't make a phone call and do it. Just take a beat, let your system calm down. And if you read any books, it it literally takes 72 hours for the brain to calm down so that you're not emotional, but you're rational. But I mean, that's hard. That's we're all human, right? So anyway, in Delivering Worms, I grew up in Hawthorne. We would go over La Brea and into Hollywood to deliver worms. And it just made my heart pound. It I was like, I just knew that's where I wanted to be and that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't really know how to do it, but I just knew from a young age that somehow, some way I would be in Hollywood. So and and one other thing about compassion, and it's not to neglect my mother, because my mother's a wonderful mom and she's in my life and a big cheerleader, but um every Thanksgiving. When I drove to San Diego to have Thanksgiving or Christmas with my parents, there were always grooms, and a groom is someone who takes care of your racehorses. And they were usually here from a foreign country, and they had no family here, and they didn't have a lot of money. And they were always at our table, always. They couldn't speak English, but they were always at our table. They were always fed, and my father always took care of them. And and even the groom's room at the racetrack. Every every Sunday, my father went to Costco or whatever store and packed it with food and blankets, and they always had a place to live and and to be fed. and And I think I learned from that. You have so many beautiful stories and moments with your parents that clearly really impacted you and shaped who you are today. So you said you had an an older brother, and you had another sibling because there were three of you, right? Yeah. I have an older brother and I have a younger brother. My younger brother is one of California's like top attorneys. And my older brother is probably smarter than all of us, but he's a salesman and that's what he wants to do. But yeah, he was the football star and and that that was hard because it's sort of like he dictated our life. I went to Lawndale High, which was, you know, sort of a tough school, you know, to be to be, you know, me with blonde hair and blue eyes, I was absolutely a minority. It was Hawaiians, Tongans, Samoans, Hispanics, and it was a big mix. And it was the best place for the best football team. So I went there and, um, and I learned to love it. And my brother was like the star and, and I still, my two closest friends have been in my life since like fifth grade. So I have industry friends, of course, and and friends now, but Jill and Dana have been in my life seriously since like fifth grade. And and it's funny to see them now. And it, it's just so weird at a young age, you gravitate to those that have the same value system that you do. And in watching them raise their kids and a couple of them raising their grandkids, it's it's they're they're doing the same thing. It's, you know, humble and grateful and you know, someone drops something at the store, you pick it up and you give it to them. You know, you do the right thing. 
I was Miss Elzigando and I was a Laker all-star girl and I've been an agent for 38 years, but I think my proudest award ever was in eighth grade when um, I was given the American Legion Award. And, and I think that's the only trophy thing that I've ever kept. It's a medallion and it just, it talks about integrity and respect for others and loving America. And I do, I have so many models from foreign countries and people are so quick to say bad things about our country. But when you represent models from foreign countries that have waited their whole life to come here, they, they are astounded at the disrespect for America because they always say they should go to my country and just spend a week and they will kiss the ground they walk on here. So I'm very, very aware of that. And I'm very grateful to be here. And I'm an LA kid. And, and um, I always laugh when people say, you know, like over the years, especially young models will say, you know, I'm coming to Los Angeles but as soon as I fall in love and have kids, I could never live here. LA is awful. Who could raise children here? And I always have to say, me, I can raise children here because it's not about where you live. It's about how you parent, you know? And the, the values you instill in your kids. Yeah, you, you were a middle child and, you know, you grew up in LA. You were instantly drawn to Hollywood. I'm interested in like, do you think that, so your role as an agent, you're constantly in between parties, whether it's the client and the model or the model and their parents or like the finance and everything. You're, you're the person that kind of. It's being the middle child. It's the peacemaker. You know, you never want to disrespect your model. You don't want to disrespect your client. You want to, you want to find, you know, an equal ground where no one feels disrespected and and one of my bosses that I had for many, many years, she was from Ireland and she always had these funny little sayings, but I think the most important thing I learned from her is she said, justice must not only be done, it must be seen to have been done. Because oftentimes people can be rude or disrespectful and they apologize in private, but they humiliate in public. And I think that is despicable. If I make a mistake, I'm going to be the first one to apologize and I'm going to apologize so that everyone can hear me say, I screwed up and I'm so sorry. And I think that's a big lesson because oftentimes when people come to work with me, um, if they make a mistake, they try to skirt it like, I don't know what happened. And I always say to them, you know, you're dealing with educated people, whether it's school education or being educated on the street. Like, don't lie to them. Just own it. They may get upset, but they'll be, but they'll appreciate that you were honest. Like, oh my God, I am so sorry. I made the mistake. And it's a hard thing to do because we all want to protect ourselves. But if you can own it in the long run, there's just so much more respect for you as a client and as a person. And, and that's even if you're in a classroom, you know, and you get caught cheating, like, and, and you didn't mean to cheat, but maybe you looked at someone's paper and the teacher calls you aside, you, you know, it's, it's a sad thing, but it's like, I, I did it. I didn't mean to do it. I don't know why I did it, but I did do it, you know? And like I said, you might, there might be repercussions initially, but in the long run, when the teacher's in the lunchroom and they're talking about kids with integrity, they're talking about the kid that, that owned up. Yeah. And that's the thing is that it's, I, I think that, especially with social media and everything these days, people, some of our young girls sometimes think there's so much pressure to be perfect and to not make mistakes. But the reality is if you're a human and at any level, you're going to make mistakes. 
And it really, you can build so much trust and such like closer relationships with people when you are accountable like that. And it's like, hey, I've, I messed up here and I want you to know, and I'm learning from it. And I hopefully won't make this mistake again. Like just, just having that integrity, it's so, what you do in that situation tells so much more than how perfect you are. It really does. And leading to perfect. I mean, I spent over 35 years representing the tallest, thinnest, most beautiful models anywhere. And I have the strongest runway division in the nation. And since being at the other agency for 32 years, I mean, at it was a big change, but I've gone over to the industry LA and now I'm booking print models, which they're going to be smaller and maybe a little fuller. But welcoming curve models has been probably one of the joys of my life, seeing girls that have gone through self-hate and self-destruction and then an awakening saying, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm amazing and I am enough. And I think that's the most important thing. And that is if you went to a pet store and there were Chihuahuas and Great Danes and Akitas and all these. Is one puppy more valuable than another? No, they're just different shapes and they're different sizes, and that's it. So I, my curve girls bring me such joy because, like, for me, growing up in LA and growing up near the beach, you're like, oh, I don't know, you know, I don't know if I should put that swimsuit on or whatever. And these girls that I have and and these guys that I have that are big and tall, they own it. They, they, it's all about self-respect and, and surrounding themselves with people that love them for who they are. Cause you know what, if you are young and you're listening to this and you're trying to be with the cool group, the cool group may be cool now, but believe me, mean girls never last they never ever last and and when their careers or their you know things happen no one cares and the mean girl is usually the scared girl because they have to be the coolest so find i used to say to my daughter when she was little she would come home from school and say nobody played with me and i would simply say find someone who will and that's how we live it and I don't have tons of friends, but the friends I have, I could call at four in the morning and say, I need help. And they would be there. And that's what you want to look for. And, you know, for those that are listening and your parents are working really hard and sometimes it's easy to be resentful, like they missed maybe something at school. They don't want to miss anything of yours. Believe me, they never, ever want to miss anything. But if it's going to a school play that they can see on video that someone's going to record for them or not getting fired and keeping their job so that you have a home and food on the table, you got to give them a break. Times are tough. And especially with COVID, people have lost their jobs, their careers, people, you know, their lives, their family. Like, so if everybody could just be a little kinder to their mom, their dad, their siblings, like everybody's going through something and and maybe it's not what you're going through but if you could just find kindness in your heart and just take a beat it, it it's it's a good way to live i'm so curious about because you've had such a long 
career in the industry. Um, so you've obviously touched so many lives. You've been in contact with so many people. You've probably seen some patterns in young women and young men um, in terms of like when they come to you and they're really, really young. Um, how did you kind of spot potential, spot issues, like provide support to your young models? Um, and how has that kind of changed over time? Well, for me, it, it's like, like in runway and now in print, you know, because the laws have changed years ago, you could be 12. And I had a 12 year old that I booked with the most famous designers in the world. And I'd have to say to her, you know, when you show up with Zach Posen, you have to put your Barbies away. And she would say, okay. And she had baby teeth, like Tommy Hilfiger paid to have her teeth fixed. Um, but things have changed for the better. You can't go to Europe and model at 15 or 16. You can't be on the runway in New York at 16. And you shouldn't be on the runway at 16 because there's always going to be older girls and older influences that 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 are going to try to like sway you. And you're and at that age, your brain isn't developed enough to stick up for yourself, even though you should, you know, and if someone offers you drugs and you feel peer pressure, like that's the worst thing in the world, like awful. So years ago, you know, it was big on meeting the parents and they're always usually like moms involved. And now I do have one girl now and her dad's involved, which is really fun. He's really supportive and really sweet ex-military. So tough. Even before I had kids, I always felt this like motherly protection thing. It's always about safety. And I always say to young models and I even say to older models, if, if you, if you show up on a job or you show up on a photo shoot and and it doesn't feel 100% right, then it's not right at all. Because I don't, you know, science came out recently that there are brain cells that are actually in your stomach. So, you know, when you say, like, I have a feeling in my stomach, you really do. You really do. We're kind of like shifting gears a little bit, but you're talking about this kind of new age of models that you're working with and it being so much more about like, self-acceptance and celebrating yourself and all of that beauty that comes through when you're confident. And it was so interesting, like modeling, doing maternity modeling and, and some postpartum modeling and, and having the experience of having a young daughter, because I'm like, you know, I've had a arc of experience in the industry. And I think it was sort of a different landscape, you know, 10 years ago, but going through seeing the industry now and how um, things are so much more uh, there's just so many more opportunities and so much more celebration of diversity that I look at my daughter and I'm like, wow, I've just, I feel like I've learned so much, especially through the experience of having her and, and seeing how beautiful she is just in, in her innocence and just embracing who she is. So, so she's good. We're, we're doing good over here. <laughs> I'm just so interested to hear in the beginning part of your journey in the industry, because on the outside, things change over decades. And it's, I feel like I never saw anybody that really looked like me or had a fuller figure unless it was, you know, very clearly a plus size model. And then that was what was discussed um, in relation to that particular person, whoever it might've been. And now it's just, it's so great to be able to see this level of diversity and inclusion, which is why I love so much what you're doing at the Industry LA. 
Ash and I were really interested in hearing about how that's changed over time because I feel like this is very new um, and representation absolutely matters. So I think, you know, it's wonderful what you're doing, but it wasn't always like that. And I'm curious, you know, what, what sparked that? You know, it's a, it's a good question. If I had to guess what sparked it, um, it's just the awareness the last three years where, you know, with video, when you see things, I think that society has, you know what I mean? With like, just having video where you can see who's doing good things and not good things in society has brought attention and just caused people to look within. And then I also think that the entertainment industry, especially with the singers, you know, that embrace their bodies and people can say horrible things about Kim Kardashian, but I I do feel she was the first one that was okay to say, I have cellulite, you know, and people were like, what? You know, so a lot of people bash her, but for that, I'm grateful because people started thinking like, oh, I don't have to starve myself. Like, it's okay if I have booty. It's okay if my breasts are bigger than the girl next door or sits next to me in my classroom. And I think things started changing. And, and so, I don't know. I, I think it was a combination of everything. But I will say, I've never seen anything move so quickly on this train that three years ago, you know, it was like, you know, if you're going to do a submission and send me, you know, pictures of models that are available, I think I'm going to do, I don't know, I'll do some blondes, brunettes, you know, do you have anyone from China? Brazil was a big thing at that time and whatever. But very quickly, I'd say in the last year and a half, two years, it's almost like swung, the pendulum has swung so far the other way that I have some clients that are like, don't submit any, you know, I don't want any white girls, especially blondes. So at some point, I think it's just gone too far that way. And I think it'll swing back. It always does. You know what I mean? And yeah, it'll balance, but I think it needed to swing. I mean, years ago, I I have a story. um, I had a client that called me. This was probably 18 years ago. And he said, I'm doing a casting. Can you send me your 10 most beautiful girls? And I did. And the next day he called me and he said, did I ask you to send me a black girl? And I said, and I got really upset. Like the hair on my back went up and I said, no, you asked me to send my 10 most beautiful. And that's what I did where now that would never happen, which is a beautiful thing, you know? And, and, you know, I don't, everything is like a mix. Everything is like fun and different. And it is funny. It used to be like, you know, people from Brazil were the rage and then girls from China and then girls from whatever. And now it's just, it's just this pretty mix of all different shapes and sizes and colors and, and it's fun and it's nice and, and, and no one feels bad about themselves. And I don't want anyone to ever feel bad about themselves. Like, and gosh. what's crazy is I feel like back, you know, and it was so influenced. It's like, there's always, like you were mentioning Kardashian, but like in, you know, decades before, there's always like a person that kind of affected the whole industry. So back, you know, 10, 20 years ago, like, was Kate Moss. And then it was like the whole skinny trend and everyone was skinny and blonde. And then it was like, okay, now everyone's skinny and then let's throw some colors in there, but they're still all the same exact size. 
the same exact height, like, you know, and they threw diversity in there just with color. And now it's like people have kind of, okay, actually, no, shape is a part, like type of diversity too. I, um, it was fun. I just remember, you know, being a young model and meeting all these girls who like, you look at them and it's like, wow, like this is my idea of what I thought perfection was, you know, as a, as a young girl, but I meet them and they can be totally insecure, you know, or have the most like negative self-image and you just be like, wow, but I look at you and you're perfect. <laughs> like, and everyone else looks at you and they're, you're perfect. Um, that it's not always, it's really not always a reflection of what's going on inside. So to have. Absolutely. 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 Lined up. I, I feel like you can look and you meet models and stuff that are doing really well. And it's so much more about like the personality that's coming out of them and how you see that and in, in obviously how they look in pictures, but also like, what are they doing? What are they into? Like what makes them kind of unique and it makes it so much more fun. So that kind of bringing a little personality back into the model. And, it, and it's sort of just being your best you. If you have acne, try and get rid of it. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying that every shape and size, it's just you sit at home and you eat, you know, potato chips all day. You just, you have to be your best you. Everybody's born differently. But what's interesting now is on the flip side, today I had a casting and the client called and said, oh, two of the girls are too thin. I'll never book anybody that thin. And the size they are three years ago was the size that they would have wanted. So everything's changing. And it's interesting now because before it was like plus and then it was called curve. And now they're asking for street size also. And I said, what's street size? You know, and they said like a size eight, a 10, you know, a, a, like a small 12, because the average American is like a 12, 14. So yeah, so now, so now they're asking for street, you know, like a lot of the department stores, if they're going to book, they're like, I want street size. Yeah, I love seeing the diversity of size and shape and color and culture um, and being able to see different personalities shine through, as Asha mentioned, because really for a lot of the young girls that we're speaking to today, even though the way information is disseminated looks so different, like we have social media, we have information at the tips of our fingers, I think you could still say that fashion, whether it's print or media, it still dictates the comfort level or what what young girls are are sort of comparing themselves to or looking to in order to feel normal or you know like they fit in or like you know you know they're looking not just for the trends but they're kind of picking up the cues of okay this is how i want to look or how how i'd like to appear so to have that that new range of diversity and to have this whole new spectrum i think has just been amazing well, and, and it's fun for me, like to book a curb, a street and everything else together and they all become friends. I was thinking about this and I, I'm wondering whether, because you also notice when you, when you shop now, a lot of sites, it's like, oh, you want to see it on a different model? Select your model. And it's like, this is, this model's wearing this size and they're this tall and this, these are their measurements. And like, you can pick your own, like whatever model you feel is most, most represents you. So I almost wonder if it's also a product of more power being given to the consumer. And, you know, when the consumer has more of a voice, it used to kind of be like, okay, the fashion houses created the trends and chose the models. What would you say? Because, I mean, we would lead some of our Bridget sessions and, you know, girls would find out that I had modeled before and 
you know, there was always one or two girls that would come up and say that like, oh, you know, I want to be a model. What should I do? What do you tell people when they say they want to be a model? And I mean, in the past, it used to be like, okay, you kind of have to fit these specific physical criteria before you could model. Now it's a little bit more of a gray area. What do you say is like your criteria for being a model right now? I, I, I would say right now it's crazy. There, the rules that I had lived by in my industry don't seem to exist anymore. So what I would say to anyone is if you happen to be 5'3", which is extraordinarily tiny for a model, but you have like a really cool face, you can do beauty. You know, if you were a basketball star, like there's always going to be Nike that's booking the athlete and they want a real athlete or someone that, that was an athlete. So it, it doesn't mean you're going to work every day. And it doesn't mean that you're going to make so much money that you can support yourself that maybe you have to do something on the side, but it's still something fun for you. And the easiest way is there used to be like an open call where models would come in, say, like an allotted time and an allotted day, like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from four to five. But because of COVID, most agencies have stopped that. So you can you can look up any modeling agency anywhere and get their email address and just take snaps with your phone. Don't spend money. Don't go get a professional photographer. Don't do that. Just have a friend take some digitals of you. Pick your six best write a nice brief note because people are so busy. Like often days I get up to like 450 emails that I'm dealing with. So you want to keep it brief. You don't want to leave a voicemail like, hi, I'm Julie from Kansas city. I was like, no one will listen. And it's not that we're rude. It's just, we're busy because it's a profession. And then like, it's, it's really important. Modeling is just not a throwaway thing. It's, it's, it's a job and it's a job. If I'm taking on a model, it's, it's not coach and player, it's teammate. It's like, I'm going to do my part, but you need to do yours. And that is when you show up at a job, you're not late. And yes, there's LA traffic, there's traffic everywhere. So you, you take care of that. If they say, don't wear any makeup, then you don't. If there's a makeup artist that they've hired to do your makeup and you don't say things like, well, you know what? I'm just going to go in the bathroom because I can do my makeup so much better because those are things that you may have gotten the job, but they're not going to hire you again. And I had a model recently and I, and I didn't understand this at all. And I had a talk with her and I, I don't think I got through to her and she showed up for a job and yes, they had hired a stylist to like put the clothes on her and prepare her for the print job. But when she came off from shooting, she took off these very expensive clothes and she threw them on the floor. And I got a call and they were like, why would she do that? And I said, I haven't a clue. So I called her and she said, well, that wasn't my job. My job was to show up and be a model. I was like, you threw somebody's hard work. It's so hard to be a designer. It takes such talent and money and time and backers and they've worked so hard. How could you just disrespect them like that? And I and I don't think I got through. She said, I just, I was hired to be a model and I was a really good model. And she was, they had no complaints about that. But I just said at home, would you throw your clothes on the floor? And she said, sometimes. And I was like, well, like, if you're going to work with me, you're never, ever going to do that again, ever. 
And, and another thing, the modeling industry, it is a profession and it is a job. And that is a lot of times young models don't seem to understand that maybe the dresser isn't making very much money, but they're working so hard and everybody there needs to be respected. Yeah, you're a model. God bless. Perhaps you were born more beautiful than somebody else. You didn't earn it. You were just born that way. So as far as I'm concerned, you need to work harder to be the nicest person in the room because it's just the right thing to do. And that dresser may be the designer's niece, or it may be the show producer's youngest sister. And when it comes to ego with a model, and if anyone's listening or whatever, it's, it's a puzzle. Like if you're doing a fashion show or a print job, it's a puzzle. That means there's a photographer, there's someone doing lighting, there's someone doing hair and makeup, there's someone dressing you. You are just one piece of that puzzle. It doesn't make you more important. It just makes you a part of the puzzle. So do your part to just be the best piece of that puzzle that you can be. And your career will go from three years to six years to I've had models for 25 years because they're the first one there. They're respected. They thank everybody. It's like my son had a full scholarship as a college athlete, D1. He's the quarterback. You would think that he'd be this cocky person, but we just didn't raise him like that. And after every practice, he walked up to the coach and thanked him. And that's all I ask of models. Like, thank you. I, I am so lucky to be here. There are people on assembly lines that are working so hard for one-tenth of what you're making, you know? And and oftentimes it's the model that leaves to say, you know what, I'm going to go be a record executive. I'm going to go work in a record company. They're the first ones to come back and go, oh my God, I am so sorry. Can I please come back? Like, I just didn't realize that I'd be working 20 hours a day and no one would say thank you. And I'm barely making what I made as a model. So I'm just saying, I don't care what you do. Do it better than anybody else. Have self-respect and respect for others. Like, I don't care what you do. My father sold worms, but he was the best worm salesman out there. My mother is 83 years old and sold two houses as a real estate person last week. So like, get up, you know, be grateful and do, do your, be your best you and do your best job, no matter what it is. And if you're, if you're working at Taco Bell, because you're putting yourself through school or you're working on something else, like be the best employee. Like it, it, it goes to who you are as a person and as a human being. And people notice, you know, I love your story. You're talking about like the dresser, like the dresser could be the designer's niece or something. I literally, I know a dresser that I worked with and became friends with who is a jewelry designer now and incredibly successful, you know, and like people, everybody's important. Everybody's on their own path. And like, just because you've got this, you know, I, I look at a lot of my modeling experiences as like, wow, that was such a gift and blessing for me to be in the room with the CEO and the designer and stuff. And I, I, people work their entire careers in that company to meet these people. And here I am in this room on this set. So I was just, you know, I'd show up and be so, so grateful to be there. And sometimes I even felt, I'm like, I don't think I'm the prettiest model out there. You know, like I see some of these girls and I'm like, whoa, wow. You know, I get why they are supermodels. But when I would show up on a set, I'm like, I'm just going to make everybody have a good day. You know, I'm going to appreciate everybody. And, and it's like over, over time, it's like, yeah, I've worked other jobs and, 
you know, been in different industries that have nothing to do with, you know, looks or anything. And when I get to go back to a modeling job or work with a client that like just keeps booking me still, even though I'm like a mom now and different things, because we have that relationship and respect and that history together. And they know that when I show up, I'm going to be like, how are you? Like, how can I make your job easier today? Like, okay, who, who's doing what? And how can we like make this the best possible version, you know, instead of having that, like, I think entitlement, it's such a, like a good lesson from this industry. It's like entitlement gets you nowhere. You know, it doesn't matter how beautiful you are or how many like things just drop in your lap. Like if you have that sense of entitlement, things burn out. Yeah. And I have a friend that's like a movie star and she said, you know, it didn't matter what I was doing. If I was mowing the lawn for my parents, I took great pride in it and I wanted it to, to like be done correctly. So it's just a really good habit to get in. You know, there's that book when you wake up in the morning, make your bed, because that's the first thing that you've achieved like in the morning. Um, it's, it's sort of like that. And I, I'm a firm believer, like when I, another thing I do when I meet a young model, I go, yeah, you're going to do this, but what, it's not plan B that you're not going to make it as a model. It's what's your big picture. It's like when I met you, Ash, you were going to school. You were like, I'm in a book out because I have finals. And I never said, oh, you have a job. Can't you miss your test? I wanted you to do well. Like uh, you have to think big picture. I, and that's probably why I've lasted almost longer than anybody that I've ever worked with. I've never taken a booking. I've never stolen a booking for a model from another agency. You know, it's like, oh, don't tell your agent, but I'm going to book you on that job for 2,500. Why would I do that for $2,500 to lose a relationship with someone that could be my friend and coworker and someone that has a mutual respect for 20, 30 years, you know? And I take great pride in knowing that I don't think you're going to hear a bad thing about me. I mean, obviously not everybody's going to love me, but I don't think anyone could ever say anything at work that I hurt them, disrespected them, did not protect them, did not stick up for them. I don't think anyone would would ever say that about me. And I think that that, that personal integrity, like doing the right thing, even when like you could probably get away with like, you know, doing the wrong thing, it does come around. Like from a model's perspective, I would get reached out to by clients and they'd be like, can we just do this like outside your agency? And I'd be like, I appreciate that you're a small business and you're trying to do this as cheaply as you can. I get that. But my relationship with my agents, they advocate for me and they are part of my team, you know, and, and I work with them for a reason. So I'd love to work with you. Here's my agent's email, you know, that those relationships, it's reciprocal because it's like when you know that someone has your back, you also are like, no, like, this is my team. This is part of how I do things. And if you don't want to do it that way. Like maybe we can work together later when you can, you know, afford to do it the way that my team. Well, and, and, and that really just comes down to basic trust. I kept this saying that I saw the other day. It says, I do not fear being alone, my dear. I fear being in a room full of people I cannot trust. And that's how I feel. It's like, I want to trust you. And, and it's been an interesting thing for me to go from being like almost very, very established and well-known to going to a boutique agency, changing like my title a model came in last week. It was really funny. And I met with her and she was, to, she was going to see other agencies before she made a decision if she wanted to be with me and, and the agents and 
the agency I'm at, the industry LA. And, and she told me she was going to go to my former agency. And I said, oh, I worked there for a long time. And she said, I know you used to be famous and now you're not. And I started laughing and I thought, you know, I'm okay with that. You know, it's like, I, I, you know, and on a side note about integrity and respecting others, there have been many years that I've had three people that work for me and I, I have never asked them to do something that I don't do myself. Like I'd seen other agents over the years, you know, going, go to, go to the fax machine and get my fax, go to da, 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 go grab me a coffee, go whatever. No. If, if I can print it, I can get off my ass and go get it because that it's just, yeah. <laughs> to me, it, it's just not who I am. I, it's not, I, I just could never do that. I could never ask anybody. I try to elevate them, not, not degrade them ever. Well, and I think it empowers them too. It makes their job ultimately easier if these people are working under you, if they're working at what, where they feel like they're their best selves and their highest capacity of work it's going to make the whole team do so much better than making them feel like they're just your little junior and, you know, they have to look to you for everything. Well, and, and another thing that, you know, that I observed from coworkers that maybe I didn't respect as much as I wanted to. And that is um, they oftentimes took credit for things that they didn't book. You know, I, I pride myself on, you know, every once in a while, like an owner of the agency will be like, oh my God, you booked that big Christian Dior event. That is so great. And I'd say, I didn't. So-and-so booked it. And they'd be like, oh, and they'd still talk to me. And I'd be like, you're talking to the wrong person. I didn't book it. She booked it. I, I think you have to acknowledge people and I you have to acknowledge how hard they work. And, and I read a book and it said that getting a paycheck is a given, but you know, having someone acknowledge how hard you've worked and, and thanking you and appreciating you is, is, is what keeps someone loyal and honest and, and wanting to continue to work with you. I mean, they have to be acknowledged. It goes back to, you know, justice. It must be not only done, it must be seen to have been done. And I really live by that. I really do. Well, it's funny because I feel like, especially in the movies and everything, people think of working at any kind of agency, they usually think of like the, you know, the movie talent agencies and that the assistants at these agencies, you know, they work in the mailroom and everyone's just like taking a crap on them, you know, just making them feel terrible and that you have to get, get through that in order to like get to a certain place. And maybe historically that there, there was truth to that at certain agencies. But I feel like just, I think that across different industries, transparency has become so much more of a thing. It's like, you do things wrong you do wrong by people like eventually other people are going to find out about it now because we're so connected so um it's neat that it's brought out leaders you know who lead by example and who empower people and um you don't really hear those stories quite as much that like okay people you have to like be treated like crap for so long if you want to work in one of these agencies or you know high profile places well and 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 I have to say that years ago, it was way rougher. Like clients would hang up on me and models would like storm out and whatever. And then I, I, I too made a decision probably 15 years ago. I used to like want to hold on to every model and, and try to like please them, like please don't leave me. And then I had a friend that was a shrink and he said to me, because 
one of my assistants left and went to a competing agency. And I just was heartbroken because A, she left and she took six of my models. And I'd always had such a personal, like loving relationship that it really broke my heart. And I remember going to dinner with my friend and he said, let me ask you something. The six models that left you, have they ever been represented by anyone else other than you? And I said, no. And he said, let them go because how can they know how great you are if they don't have to experience another agent that maybe won't care about them the way you did? And I have to say that all six called to come back, but I only took four and I didn't take the other two because when they left, they just were really disrespectful and rude. And I thought, you know what, maybe this was a blessing and you can go be somebody else's problem because I'm only going to represent people that I like, that I can be proud of. And I can know that when they show up on a job, they're never going to be disrespectful to my clients because I'm as good as the models I represent, but I'm also as good as the clients that I have longstanding relationships with. And that's one thing that's nice is leaving runway after all those years because COVID killed runway. I mean, you couldn't have an event, you couldn't have a show, you couldn't have an audience. And I had to like figure it out. And I still book shows. I'm not the, the queen show booker these days. I am a print booker that happens to do shows as well. And it was learning new things, but but it was funny at first I was nervous, you know, like, oh, old dog, new tricks, here we go. But I think I told you guys, I it was a matter of not feeling respected after all those years, building an agency and making it like a huge agency. And I just needed to prove to my children that it doesn't matter how old you are, or you think that you're going to finish your career at the place that you've been for so long. It's a matter of self-respect. And yeah, did, was I scared and nervous and overwhelmed initially? Absolutely. Um, but with each day, I just thought, I just have to be me and I have to apply my integrity to print clients the way I did with show clients. And funny enough, several of my show clients are now my print clients because they too had to pivot. I don't remember this, but... As a little girl, I had, I was born with a funky left leg. So I had these corrective shoes with a bar. So I had to walk funny and, and I have these very strong calves, like, like that are bigger than normal. So I have a tendency to only wear boots and people are like, you always wear boots. So even when it's hot out, you know how people go, aren't you hot? I always say no, because like wearing the boots covers my calves, which I know that I had these leg braces for a long time. But I also think that in my subconscious, it must have taught me like empathy for others because I'm sure as a little girl, people probably wanted to like look or ask what was wrong or something. And and there's always going to be those things. Like, like I said, my father was went on to be a big horse trainer. But um, one day he had wrapped the legs of his favorite horse. And in the course of a race, she broke her leg and he had to put her down. And my grandmother, who was not a nice person to my father, my father told her off. And then the next day she died of a heart attack, even though she was old. And my father, who was the strongest person I'd ever known in my life, had a nervous breakdown. 
and then for 20 years, there were good days, bad days, good days, bad days. And then eight years ago, my father hung himself in the family garage. And I had to step up to the plate because at that point, um, you have to make sure that your brothers are okay and that your mom's okay. And what was really difficult, I mean, I mean, I know it sounds terrible. Like we had tried everything. A year later, Robin Williams had done the same thing. And I remember people posting, how hard is it? How hard is depression? I mean, you wake up and you take an antidepressant and you take a shower. And for those that still believe that, if you don't think that as a family member that loves your parent, you try everything, then you really don't, then you don't know. And I, and I hope you never, ever have to go through seeing someone you love completely crumble and fall apart. It's, it's a very sad thing, but at that moment you have to pick up the pieces and you know, it sounds terrible, but life is for the living. And I had to ensure that my mom was going to be okay. And two weeks later, I was on an airplane to Syracuse, dropping my daughter off at college. And um, so talk about an emotional month. It was crazy. And then the next day, you know, after spending a week with my mom and organizing, I was back at work and everyone said, how could you be back at work? It's like, how could I not be back in work? And just recently, I don't know if you guys saw in the news two weeks ago that a music executive's wife was shot and killed in their home in Beverly Hills. And I happen to be extremely close friends with their son. So, you know, for two weeks, you know, I finally saw him yesterday to make sure he was okay. But like, these are just things like you don't want them to happen. You hope they never happen. But at that point, you have to be there to help them along and, and figure it out. And, and I used to like, always read these books on psychology. And I always figured if I wasn't a modeling agent dealing with so many different personalities and things going on, I would just be like a psychiatrist or something. And um, I remember them saying that when there's a trauma and someone that you love has like a big drama, everybody in, in that first month, everybody reaches out, they drop off food, they call, they email, they text. But then six months into it, when the phone calls stop, is when you as a friend need to step up more than ever. And and I literally on my calendar have marked six months where I will step up to the plate at a crazy level for my friend Alex, because that's just what friends do. Well, you have such a capacity for empathy and compassion that is more than apparent. And yes, thank you for sharing um, some of these difficult traumas with us and with our listeners because they are, you know, they're the values of life. And and unfortunately, you know, these are the types of things, everybody has different things, but these are the types of things I think everybody will, you know, experience at some point or another. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's so admirable and wonderful and such a lesson um, to really think about things long-term that friendships last longer than six months. And so does trauma and grief. Um, what do you do to fill your well back up? Because I hear you giving so much to the people around you and stepping back into your role as mom, second mom, mentor, you know, and then going right back into work. So how do you, how do you keep your well filled so that you can continue to give on this extraordinary level that you do? 
Thank you for saying that. That's so nice. I, I, I don't think I taught myself some ways. I just think maybe some people are born like this. I don't know, but thank you. And, and, and it's not hard for me to be kind to others. It's just sort of who I am. The one thing that I make a huge point of doing, and that is every single morning, um, I live close to Griffith Park and there are trails there. Every single morning, I walk with my husband and my dog for a full hour and we talk about, you know, current events and everything that's going on. I try to get a really good night's sleep and there isn't a day that I, that goes by that I don't tell the people I love that I love them. And it's funny because my father, like I said, could be very gruff and I knew that my parents loved me more than anything, but they never ever said it. And um, so I make a point of always saying it. Like my daughter just got on an airplane. She's flying home for Boston. She goes to Boston College where she's getting her MBA. And, you know, it's like fly safely. I'll pick you up tonight. I love you. I just need them to know that. And and my friend Greg Zarian told me something the first time when my daughter was born. And he said, I just think it's really important that you always say to your kids, I'm so happy that you were born. Because I think some kids feel like maybe you know, that maybe they didn't feel that initially because of outside sources. So for me, I try to get a good night's sleep. I always walk in the morning. And for the last three years, I know it sounds silly, but I have a standing desk because if I'm going to be in an office all day long, I want to feel like I'm taking care of myself. And I make sure to take vitamins and drink lots of water. And Today, two of my coworkers were leaving for the holidays. I made sure that, like one of them said, oh, I before I leave, I need to clean my desk. And I was like, I will clean your desk. Just go home and pack, make your thing. And I hugged him and I've only worked with him now for three months at the new agency, but I wanted him to know I cared. And if it meant organizing desk and cleaning his desk for him um, so that he could leave, that was the least I could do. So. And I, I, you know, I get joy out of doing nice things for others. I really do. My daughter sent me a picture the other day of like um, two skeletons and rib cages, and the rib cages were like, like next to each other, and the thing that touched were the hearts. So I, I like to hug. I, you know, you got to be careful now. With there's just, in my opinion, just so much woke stuff. It's like I'm gonna hug you. And, and I, and I try not to give in too much to fear. I'm, I, I even say to like models and I say to my kids, I always have like, I don't want you to be afraid. I just want you to be aware, just be aware, but don't live in fear, but be aware. It's like, you know, I know there's a surge coming back with COVID and I had a couple models that tested positive today. And, and I was like, don't get upset. You know, it is what it is. You're not the only one that had it. My kids both had it and they're vaccinated and it's just, you'll get through it. This is what to look for, but you have to take care of yourself. But working yourself up into like a state of like hysteria does nothing for your body. It does nothing. It does nothing to heal you. So just try and take it down, be quiet, like relax, eat some good food and just try to rest and I just, you know, again, you need to pause. You don't retreat, but let's just pause until you feel better. And any client, you know, like the two girls today, I had to cancel on jobs. And 
And they were like, are the clients going to be upset with me? And I said, upset with you because you have COVID? Did you did you ask to get COVID? <laughs> They're like, no. And I was like, that's ridiculous. I said, for every time a model needs to cancel because they have the flu or COVID or a cold sore, there's a client that has you know, a car accident or COVID or something. So we're all just people. And with regards to models, I sometimes people think that they're not human, like you don't eat, right? You don't whatever. And I have to say, you know, models are people too. And if you just give them a break, we're all doing the best we can just survive in an ever-changing world. And if we could just be a little kinder to everyone, whether they're tall and thin or not, or an athlete or someone that was burned in a fire, God forbid, can we just be kinder, you know? Yeah. One of your, I don't know if it was on your Facebook or something when I first met you, but you had a quote and it was, um, I don't know who says this quote, but it was never mistake kindness for weakness. And I remember seeing that and that, you know, it was early when I had just met you and started working with you. And I was like, man, Krista is a power woman. Like she clearly gets so much done, but she is so kind, you know, and she really listens. And I think you were an early example to me of a woman who can be soft and take time and be level-headed, but also be very powerful, you know, and that I didn't really, I hadn't witnessed that kind of woman in media or anything yet. So, I mean, apart from my mom, who's very kind and powerful in a professional context to witness that was really impactful for me. So I just want to say, and thank you for sharing your story with your family, with your dad. Thank you. Of course. Thanks for being a part of my life for so long. I I love you. It's, it's, and it's such an honor to be able to circle back and feature your story. And I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful to you for sharing, you know, your story with your dad and your family. And I'm so sorry you had to go through that. And I think I also want to bring up the point that you mentioned about depression and how serious it is. And, you know, yes, it impacts, you know, when someone takes their life, it impacts many people around them and there's anger and a lot of feelings that go with that. But depression is real and heavy and sometimes too much to bear for people. So all we can do is, you know, when we don't think that there's something going on with someone, you know, even in the normal days, like you're saying, just saying, I love you, reaching out to someone after the dust has settled, you know, and just having that, um, that pause with yourself, but also with other people. Um, I, I love your rituals of going for a walk and, um, you know, just taking that time to collect yourself and then just also keep moving forward. There, there is, there is hog and dogs involved at night. (laughs) But these small rituals are often the most powerful. And I think I think there's this misconception that to be super great or successful at something, you have to make these big leaps and bounds. And I think the reality is actually just showing up for yourself in these small ways like you demonstrated. Because then when you put it all together, you can be there. You can be the person that reaches out because you you have established that very solid baseline of health and well-being for yourself. Yeah. And, and, and I always, I wasn't always like that. You know, I was the one that was, you know, dropping the kids off at school and being at work at eight and getting home at nine. And, and you, you can only do that so long, you know, it's, it's being on the airplane, you know, you take the mask so that you can inhale the oxygen so that you can take care of others. And 
I feel like I'm doing something for myself and I'm doing stuff for others and stuff for my family because, you know, I had my children in my thirties, not in my twenties. And my kids are funny. They're like, you're not going to die. Right. Like, I I mean, you're going to meet your grandkids. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm not that old. Give me a break peeps. But, but I think it's for them. They need to see that I'm healthy, you know, but no, I want to thank you guys both. And you're doing such a good thing. And you're, and, and like I said, if one girl out there is like going through self-doubt right now or questioning herself, if we helped at all, then and that makes me happy, you know? And, and you guys, just because you had a bad morning doesn't mean you have a bad day. Just means you had a bad morning. And if you had a bad week because of something, doesn't mean you have a bad life. It just was a bad week. And you know what? Next week's going to be better. And um, if you, even if you can make yourself smile, even when you don't want to, it'll send some endorphins to your brain, but drink water. And you guys, you know, if you're going to choose between a burrito and potato chips, like, and you could choose maybe something else that's healthier, you'll feel better, you know? So try and take care of yourself. And it's not because you want to be a model because you just want to feel better and, and, And sleeping is a really important thing. What did they say? Like when the kids were taking like the SATs and stuff for kids that got seven to eight hours of sleep, they, they had, their grades were so much higher than kids that were going to bed at three in the morning, you know? So you have to take care of yourself, like just the little things and baby steps, you know, you don't have to do things overnight, just, you know, slow and steady wins the race. I hear throughout your story and your career that you have a, a consistency in the small things, you know, that it's not like, oh, I'm going to do this one big job or book this one big thing that's going to make my whole career and then I'm going to just stop. It's just like, no, I'm just going to steadily do what feels right to me and do good by people, you know, and love on the people around me. And I think that that is such a recipe for success in whatever you commit yourself to is like listening to those internal cues and then being consistent about it. Thanks. Well, look at you guys. You're doing the same thing. So I just want to say to everybody, be safe, be happy, take it easy and love yourself. Like, and, and if you only find one thing that you love about yourself, then love it. And then tomorrow find two things and just keep going from there. But it's a different world, you guys. And no matter what shape, size, age, Everyone's welcome to play. Everyone. I love it. Well, I think we're coming to like the end of our interview, unfortunately, but we always end with a little um, fast five questions. And they're usually just, they're fun and you say whatever comes to mind. Um, But yeah, we'll just dive into those and then, and then we'll wrap it up. So number one, um, what are your favorite qualities that you think of um, when you think of one of your long-term best friends? Consistency. Yes. Love it. Okay. You you mentioned that there was Haagen-Dazs involved in some of your evening rituals. What is your go-to flavor? Vanilla chocolate chip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number three, what is uh, the funniest story that you can remember in a work setting? Oh, this is great. I, I represented this one girl and she was probably the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen in my life. And I had a meeting with her and she didn't show up. And then like an hour later, she showed up and I said, where were you? And she said, I stopped in the grocery store to get a juice and a couple women were following me around the store. And they finally caught up to me and said, you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. 
And I started to laugh and I said, what did you say? And she said, I know. (laughs) (laughs) That still makes me laugh because never in my life could I possibly say I know. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Number four, and I'm sure you've heard a lot and I highly doubt any of these have ever come from you, but worst piece of advice you've ever heard or received, like that you've heard your bottles get or that you've heard from somebody else? And then how did you respond? Oh my God. Yes. There's a couple things. You know, if you go to an agency and they give you advice to cut your hair off, why don't you ask the agent how long they've been an agent or why don't you ask them to cut their hair off? It just annoys me so much. (laughs) Um, I heard another agent years ago say to a model, you know, you just, you know, starving is a good thing. And smoking cigarettes that and drinking coffee will take away your appetite. And I am very nice, but I was not nice when I overheard that. It's like, I'm sorry, we're not going to jeopardize our health and the future of our life for some, you know, little weight loss. You know, go walk and drink lots of water and eat healthy food. It'll take you longer, but, but you'll have a better life. That just, ugh, that disgusted me. Number five, um, if you had a hype song for your life, a soundtrack to your life, what would it be? You know, that Casey Mulgraves, the, there's always been a rainbow. I kind of, I think it would be that. It's just, I always feel like that I've got a rainbow around me because, you know, it's like who has a career for almost 40 years and two kids that love them and a husband that loves them, you know, it's, it's in friends that I've had since fourth and fifth grade, I I do feel like I'm, I'm followed by a rainbow. I guess it would be that song. I think you might be the rainbow, Krista. Well, thank you so much, Krista. It was so nice spending time with you. And I hope we'll connect again soon. But thank you so much. We'll talk soon. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?